title of the talk is It's Raining, It's Pouring. If you remember the old uh, child's uh, uh, ditty, it goes, and the old man is snoring. In this case, hopefully, um, you won't be snoring. Okay, Isaiah 32. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, um, particularly having a look at uh, scriptures in the Old Testament that really foretell this whole thought of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A lot of scriptures that talk about the pouring out of the shedding forth of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And uh, it's the same word in the Greek uh, in the New Testament where it says shedding forth or pouring out, same word, and uh, uh, all referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So in Isaiah 32, I thought we'd have a look at some passages in the Old Testament to show that uh, this is really, uh, this was not unexpected. So on the day of Pentecost when Peter got up there and he said uh, this was what was prophesied about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that they did know these passages. They were expecting uh, at some stage the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the days of the Messiah. So Isaiah 32 verse 13 um, we read here, and usually in these passages it's talking about you know, the bad state that Israel has found itself in or Judah has found itself in. And then it's talking about uh, how the Lord will pour out his spirit and uh, things will be changed. So verse 13, it says, Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city, because the palaces shall be forsaken and the multitude of the city shall be left, the forts and the towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. So we start off with thorns and briars. We start off with a bad situation uh, for the people of Israel, and they're in captivity, and things are going wrong, and they've turned away from the Lord, and uh, the palace is being forsaken, and the, the Lord not dwelling with them anymore. And uh, then we see, and these things continue until the Spirit be poured upon us from heaven, from on high. And then everything turns around. And we see the wilderness should become a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. And then it says, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. So everything is turned around. And uh, the blessing of the Lord comes and uh, there is uh, fruitfulness and there is righteousness and there is peace and there is assurance and there is uh, a sure dwelling and a place to inhabit. So uh, this was uh, one of the prophecies of the time where the Lord was going to turn around the captivity of Israel and uh, things were going to become blessed again. And again, it all revolves around the thought that they were waiting till, for the time until the Spirit be poured out or shed forth from heaven upon the people. And uh, that's the time that Israel was looking forward to. So we go to um, Isaiah 44. Uh, I'll just quote you from Jeremiah 31. Uh, again, similar sort of passage and uh, talks about um, the end state. It says, For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. 
And therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together uh, to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. So again, talking about the Lord redeeming Jacob out of the hand of him that was stronger than he. And uh, certainly that uh, applies to a lot of the oppressing powers that came against them and uh, uh, Assyria and uh, Babylon and these sorts of places, but it also particularly applies to Satan who had them in captivity and was stronger than they were and they had uh, fallen under his spell, so to speak. But then it talks about uh, the Lord turning things around. It talks about great fruitfulness in the wine and the oil and the wheat and uh, the flocks and the herds. And he says their soul shall be as a watered garden. So water was coming into the situation, uh, the living water of the Holy Spirit, this is really referring to, and they will not sorrow any more at all. Now, Isaiah 44 and uh, verse 1, again, similar passage, says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. And I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. So again, the Lord is uh, giving them a reassurance, and he's saying, look, uh, I have chosen you, Israel. And he has said, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Jesus talked about uh, the thirst in the New Testament and said, uh, those that thirst can come to me, I will give them living water, water of eternal life. Scripture says that he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So floods upon the dry ground. The dry ground, again, representing a a situation which is unfruitful and barren and uh, has lost it. Um, Again, those that are thirsty indicates a lack of righteousness spiritually. And uh, the Lord will pour his spirit out, as he said, upon thy seed and thy blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the watercourses. Uh, one shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. So this is, as the Lord said at the beginning there, uh, do not fear Jacob, my servant. And the end result of these things is that uh, the Father's name would be written upon them, as it says in the book of Revelation, as they were sealed uh, with the seal of the living God, the Holy Spirit, and God's name written in them. So God would come to dwell with them. They would be called by the name of God. The blessing of God would be upon them. And uh, again, they would name themselves after the Lord and to follow his way. So again, the thought is that the water comes in, the water is poured upon those that need it, and there is great fruitfulness and great blessing. So again, that was one of the testament, one of the um, prophecies in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 39 and verse 25. And again, a few places in Ezekiel where the Lord talks about uh, sending his spirit. Uh, just one verse here. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of, of Jacob. In other words, turn things around and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my holy name. Um, and down in verse 29, pick it up there, it says, Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. So again, looking forward to the time where they will be taken out of captivity, if you read the, the rest of the passage there, and the Lord will turn things around, 
and uh, he will again name his name upon them and uh, he will um, bring to pass his promises. So he will not hide his face from them anymore. Uh, They will see him face to face. They will be one with him. He will dwell with them and they will dwell with him. Uh, And the reason being that he had poured out his spirit upon the house of Israel. So again, these were prophecies that they knew and at the time of the coming of Jesus, they were prophecies they were looking forward to the fulfilment of, as well as the fulfilment of the coming of the Messiah. Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 17. This one the Lord talks about the new creation uh, with the coming of the Spirit. In verse 17 he says, Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. And they shall come thither and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof and all the abominations thereof from thence. Again, the Lord talks about at his return that he will take away all things, uh, all wickedness and all things that do offend and do iniquity from the kingdom of God. And again, this is the thought the Lord will bring them back out of their captivity and to bring them into a safe place. In verse 19, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. In other words, a heart which is soft, not a hardened heart. Uh, a heart that uh, will uh, uh, be teachable and that will be humble and contrite and uh, the Lord will give them a good heart and uh, he will enable them to follow his ways. In verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So again, these were the promises that they were looking forward to, that God was going to change the heart of the people, he was going to change the heart of the nation, he was going to turn them around He was going to put a new spirit within them. And this was going to be, of course, the Holy Spirit. And uh, he would change their heart so that it was not hardened. It would be soft. It would be malleable. It would be ready to walk in the statutes and the commandments of the Lord, which they had forsaken. And again, the promise was that they shall be my people and I will be their God. Again, which is echoed in the, the last um, chapters in Revelation that God would uh, come to dwell with the people of the world and they would be his people. He would dwell in them and they would dwell in him. And again, as Jesus said, that uh, he would come in the form of the Holy Spirit and uh, the Father and he would make their abode within those people that uh, that followed the commandments of the Lord and he would give them the Holy Spirit and they would dwell in him and he would dwell in them. So all of these things are very much talked about in the Old Testament and we see the fulfillment of them in the New Testament. I'll just quote you a couple of verses from Psalms and from Corinthians. In Psalms it says, 51, it says, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And again, this is what it means here in verse 19. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. Uh, The Lord was going to create them a clean heart. He was going to give them a new creation or create them anew and put a a right and a righteous spirit uh, within mankind. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We talked recently about uh, the kingdom of God and how that, um, although I say we talked recently, but I've been giving a few talks on, on Zoom at other 
um, assemblies and things recently, so I don't know whether I mentioned this or not. Um, when some folk were here, were listening. But certainly, I've been talking about it a bit in some of the talks. Uh, the kingdom, the Bible says, is coming. Jesus Christ's kingdom, it says, there will be created a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. A whole change in the nature of things. And again, the Lord says, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So just what the Lord is doing with the individual, he is also doing with the whole world. He is changing things. And uh, all things are going to become new as the Holy Spirit really uh, moves in this world and uh, and the Lord returns. Joel chapter 2, which is one of the prophecies which is more familiar to us because it is quoted on the day of Pentecost by the disciples when they preach to the people and explain what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is. Joel chapter 2 and verse 21, <coughs> we read here, It says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. So this is a time, uh, again, that they were looking forward to because it was a time of great rejoicing that was to come, a time of joy, a time of blessing and fruitfulness. The Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Again, this same imagery of the, the fruitfulness of things being turned around and uh, the wilderness uh, springing forth and being a blessing. Verse 23, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And uh, the thought here is talking about uh, uh, at this particular time, uh, in old times, I think the, the weather patterns have changed a bit these days, but uh, in those times in Israel, uh, they would have uh, the rain would come at a certain time of the year and that would break up the ground. And as they were sowing the seed, it would uh, enable the seed to germinate. And so you had the early rains and then you had the latter rains and there was a sort of a, a drier period in between. And then just before the harvest was about to come in, you would have the, the other rains or the the latter rain, uh, which would be poured out, and then that would cause the uh, uh, the wheats and everything else to ripen, and uh, that would sort of finish things off, and then it would dry off, and then they would be able to harvest. So you sort of had the former rain to get things going and germinating, and then you had the latter rain to bring it up to its full, full height and uh, full fruit, and then would come the harvest. And uh, really, this uh, when we look at what happened in the, the Gospel Age, we see that there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we believe, because this scripture is brought up in the New Testament as well, that is the the former rain, if you like, the early rain. And uh, that got things germinated, that got things going, the outpouring of the uh, the gospel was, was uh, there and spread out into the world. During the middle section of the um, of the gospel age, we know the prophecy was that things were to become corrupted and to a large degree, there was going to be a bit of a famine and a bit of a thirst of, of things that were uh, true and righteous. And uh, we see during the Dark Ages, and we see the dominion of um, uh, the Catholic Church and Islam and other things in, in the world uh, dominating these times. We had the Dark Ages, and there was not a lot of understanding of the Bible, not even a lot of knowledge of what was in the Bible. 
And uh, as a matter of fact, the, you, could, uh, you could be put to death for actually having a copy of the Bible or for daring to read it and things like this. And uh, so there was a dry period, if you like, but all during that time there were people receiving the Holy Spirit and it was just as there was in the, in the, time, in the physical farming situation. They might have had a time of rains at the beginning and a time of rains at the end, but there would have been showers here and there uh, in the meantime in between even though it was a drier state. But that's what's happened in the Gospel age. And then in the early 1900s, we saw the Pentecostal movement and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit again in a big way. People receiving the Holy Spirit and understanding these things again has sort of come to pass just before the time of um, the harvest when Jesus Christ returns. So we've seen the former rain, we've seen the latter rain in history. And uh, again, it's using that example there. So these things are again a type of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But if we go down to verse 28 and pick it up there, and it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. So this was one of the great prophecies that they were looking for, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, the times of the former and the latter rains that were to come, uh, that they were all expecting and they were looking forward to for the Lord to bless and joy and great things to be done. In verse 30, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Uh, talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Uh, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So this passage was quoted in the New Testament in Acts 2. So we'll flick over there to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is all about, uh, just after the the, uh, ascension of Jesus Christ, 40 days after he died and was resurrected, uh, he ascended into heaven and he told his disciples to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was going to happen in a few days' time. He indicated, and it was actually 10 days later, at the Feast of Pentecost. Jesus was crucified at the Feast of Passover and uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came at the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost represented the uh, beginning of the harvest and, uh, you know, the first fruits and these sorts of things. Um, so on the day of Pentecost, uh, Acts 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So um, they received the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the chapter is all about uh, great crowds of people being gathered around with all the the commotion and and the sounds and the things that were happening there and 120 people speaking in other tongues. And uh, a great crowd gathered and began to ask the questions, what does this mean? What are these people? They're speaking in all these different languages and they listed listed off some of the ones they understood um, because there were people there from all over the place, uh, all throughout the Roman Empire, and uh, some of them understood uh, some of the languages that were list- that were going on there. Other people just thought they were all drunk and babbling away. 
and didn't know what was happening. So they asked what this meant and uh, they didn't realise, they didn't know that this was the Holy Spirit. They just saw people speaking in other languages and uh, the ones that were recognised, they understood they were speaking the wonderful works of God. Again, the great things of God. And uh, they said, what does this mean? What meaneth this? And uh, Peter and the others apostles stood up on that day. Uh, in verse 14, you might read it there. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, uh, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's saying it's a bit early for them to be drunk. That's not what is happening here. He said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And that's the passage that we just read. And we'll read it again here. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So that was uh, what was happening at this time. This was the fulfilment of all these wonderful promises uh, that they had been looking for. And uh, <clears throat> so again, you know, it, this wasn't something that was brand new to the people he was talking to. When he mentioned these things, it was not as though they'd never heard that scripture before. These things were talked about. These things were expected. It was known that the Messiah was to come. It was known that the Holy Spirit was to come. It was known that with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Lord was going to turn around the fortunes of Israel and the Lord was going to bless people. There would be fruitfulness and great things being done and God would uh, come to dwell with his people. So they were all expecting these things, but Peter is tying this together with the speaking in tongues that these people heard and he's saying this, what you're saying is the prophesied outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, continues quoting Joel, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And we know that these are also prophecies to do with uh, the coming of the Lord. And uh, what we find here is that uh, uh, these really these two aspects of this prophecy are bracketing the gospel age. So it begins with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit but as the Lord says there, before his return, there are great and terrible things that are going to happen to the earth. He talks about the great uh, signs in the earth in, uh, beneath and, and in wonders in heaven above, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. Um, as it says in places, palm trees of smoke, pillars of smoke, uh, referring to war and uh, bloodshed and fire. Uh, it talks about the sun being turned into darkness, etc., the moon into blood, great and terrible things. Uh, all the great uh, powers of this world being brought low um, before the the day of the Lord come. And again, quoting Joel, he says, And shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved. So he said this this is the time uh, to get saved. So, you know, there's, there's terrible destruction coming. There, that half of the prophecy is to be fulfilled. But he said the Holy Spirit has been poured out and now, as the Scripture said, is the time come to pass that if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved and delivered from that destruction and from death and that you can be part of this great fruitfulness that the Lord is bringing in. And so he went on to explain uh, these things there. Um, we'll go down to verse 33. 
you can read the rest at another time there. Um, verse 32 he talks about Jesus Christ. He goes through some other prophecies and how that Jesus' death was tied together with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had paid the price and uh, now the Holy Spirit could come. And in verse 32, this Jesus said, God raised up whereof we are all witnesses, and therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth or poured this out, which ye now see and hear. So then in the New Testament, we start to see the scriptures referring to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So he said, so this is it. He said, Christ has been exalted. The Messiah has been killed. He has been exalted. He has purchased the uh, the price of our salvation. He has redeemed us. He has paid the cost. And therefore, he is now ascended into heaven. He has been exalted at the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said he has now poured it out, and that is that that you now see and hear. So tied it all together and said, this is... This is the uh, the speaking in tongues there is the sign of people receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So again, um, it wasn't new to them, these things, and uh, to connect all this together, for them to suddenly be told that this speaking in tongues with the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which they were expecting, they knew about that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They knew it was to come. And Peter is saying, here it is. It's begun. It has started. And uh, on that day, 3,000 people believed the things that were spoken there and were baptised, it says, and uh, they were added, uh, many, those many souls were added to the kingdom of God. So Peter told them, as we know, down in verse 38, it was difficult to go past these verses here, he explained that Jesus was indeed uh, the Lord and Christ they were looking for. In verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So they came to be convicted and, and recognized that these things were true. Um, it had all started to come together. They had put Christ upon the cross, but now they were starting to think maybe he was the Messiah, he was the Lord and the Christ, what they were witnessing there with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was all starting to click in their minds and uh, the prophecies that uh, David, uh, that about King David there that Peter and the apostles went through and explained how that Christ had to die and that he had to rise again and it all started to fall into place and they began to be convicted and they said, what do we do? And uh, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's what they had been looking for all their lives was the gift of the Holy Ghost. They had been waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now Peter and the apostles are saying, this is what you've been waiting for. This is what's been prophesied. This is how God brings us back into right relationship with him. This is the time where we see the blessing and the fruitfulness and the name of God being written upon us. If you repent and you get baptised in the name of this Jesus who was the Christ and you look for the remission or forgiveness of sins, you will receive this gift. And he went on to say, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And uh, 3,000 people responded to that. 
they, many of them became convinced and uh, it was probably a very busy day as they baptised people. It says 3,000 on that day in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptised and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So a lot of people responded and um, again, they understood what was meant by these things and came to believe that this was the outpouring of the Spirit. Now if we go to Acts chapter 10, we'll look at a couple of other uh, passages there in the New Testament which mention again the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 10, when it came time for the Gentiles to receive the Holy Spirit, uh, for a while there the early church thought that it was just Israel that uh, Christ had died for and that uh, he had redeemed and uh, just Israel that could receive the Holy Spirit. But the Lord showed to Peter uh, that there was, a, there was an Italian man, a Roman centurion and his household who were following the God of Israel and the Lord showed them uh, the uh, the Jews, that Gentiles, the people of other nations also could receive the Holy Spirit. And that again opened up a whole new uh, era for even the church. Uh, again, they suddenly realized there were great things that God was about to do that again, if you look back and if we had time, you could go back in the Old Testament and see that the Messiah was going to be a light to the Gentiles, not just to Israel, but he was going to not only save those of Jacob, but the Lord said he would also do a greater thing and he would save the entire world through what he was going to do. And so, uh, you know, we're looking at times here where all of these realizations are, are being shown to not only the people of the world, but the church as well and to Israel and to the Gentiles and uh, great things are being opened up there. Now, gent, uh, the household of uh, Cornelius um, and all his servants and uh, quite an extended household there, they, they ended up uh, getting together with Peter and Peter preached the gospel to them. The Lord had showed him that he should go to them and, and, uh, and uh, preach to them. Down in verse 45... Uh, towards the end of the story there, he has been preaching to uh, Cornelius and um, verse 43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Again, it's pointing people towards Jesus Christ and uh, saying they should repent and uh, again get baptised looking to receive the forgiveness or the remission of sins. Now, verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so the Jews were surprised. Peter had been given some uh, heads up, a bit of a warning about these things through visions, and uh, normally they wouldn't have even gone into the house of the Gentiles. It was forbidden for them to do so. Uh, but the Lord had shown him that he should, uh, what God had cleansed, he should not call unclean. And uh, so uh, he went in there, he preached the gospel to them, he recognised that God was doing something here. And so the Jews that came with Peter, when they saw the Holy Spirit poured out upon this whole household, an extended number of people that says there were many people there uh, listening to the word, uh, when they all received the Holy Spirit, the Jews were astonished. This suddenly meant they realised that other nations could receive the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And how do we know that they knew that that had happened? Were they just sort of, uh, was Peter just preaching and then people had a smile on their face? 
And they said, well, behold, they have received the Holy Spirit. Now, it had to be something a little bit more clear than that. And in verse 46, it says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, same as on the day of Pentecost. And uh, same outpouring as it was on the day of Pentecost, as it was here. As a matter of fact, when Peter, um, in the next chapter, had to go back to Jerusalem and explain to the Jews in the church uh, why he had gone into a Gentile's household, he had to explain, look, um, it was was a long story, but he he summed it up and he said, look, the, the Lord filled them with the Holy Spirit even as he did unto us at the beginning. And he didn't mention speaking in tongues, at least in the record there in Acts 11. But when they, when he told the other Jews that, they all said, oh. And they said, well, that means that God has granted repentance unto life to the Gentiles also. And uh, so, again, they knew what it meant, uh, that these people had received the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. In verse 47 here, he went on to say, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So both being baptized in, in the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit poured out upon you, um, and also being baptized in water are necessary. In the one, we, we die to our old way of life and commit ourselves to the Lord in water baptism. In the other one, the Lord commits himself to us uh, by filling us with the Holy Spirit and his promise. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. Again, talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the promise that has happened. This is the Apostle Paul. He's looking back on what the Lord has done. He says, For we we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So a bit like Israel of old, they'd gone into captivity under Satan. They'd been involved in all sorts of things. They'd become an unfruitful field. They were barren. They were desolate. They didn't have the power of God. They didn't have the blessing of God. They were not the people of God. And God was not dwelling in them or with them. And uh, he said, that's how we were. He said, but in verse 4, but after that the kindness and love of God, our Saviour toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us, and again this is the same Greek word, uh, it means which he poured on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So as he said, the love of God appeared and was made manifest through Jesus Christ and we were saved by the washing of regeneration or new birth and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'll just read you that little bit out of the Amplified. It says, um, in the Amplified version, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour to man uh, appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but because of his own mercy and uh, pity and mercy by the cleansing bath of the new birth regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out so richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Saviour. And again, Paul just saying, well, this is what had happened. Uh, God's love was demonstrated towards man and made manifest, um, he says, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So when you read that passage there, I want to connect, uh, as it says there, the love of God with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
If you read it there in verse 4, it says the love of God toward man appeared or was made manifest. And then you've got this phrase, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. If you put that in brackets, okay, so that's really a bracketed comment. He's sort of saying um, God's love towards man was made manifest. And uh, if you leave out the bracketed bit, it says um, um, by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. In other words, God's love was made manifest by filling us with the Holy Spirit. And uh, he puts in the, the comment there, it wasn't any righteousness of our own, uh, but it was according to God's mercy that uh, these things happened. So we were saved. Um, we had the love of God show in our lives and we were saved by the Holy Spirit which was poured out upon us. And as it says in verse 7, uh, this, um, this means that we have been justified by his grace and we have been made inheritors of the hope of eternal life. Romans 5, verse 5, and through quite a few passages here today, but uh, there's, as I say, a lot in the Old and New Testament on the thought of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Um, Just this one also, uh, just like the last one, connects the thought of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the outpouring of God's love. In verse 5, Paul says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad, or poured forth, same word, uh, in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So what he's really saying is that the pouring out of God's Spirit and the pouring out of the love of God is the same thing. By God pouring out his Spirit, he is demonstrating that he is pouring out his love upon people and uh, upon upon the world. And again, this is uh, we know that having received the Holy Spirit, this is God's love towards us being demonstrated, that it has been poured out upon us along with the Holy Spirit. And just one last passage, John 7 and verse 37. As I said, there's a number of passages, John 4 as well, where the Lord talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, which we, he would give as the living water that he would give for to quench the thirst, which is the lack of righteousness uh, of people. Uh, verse 37 there. <clears throat> says, in that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And again, as he said elsewhere, he said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So what he's talking about here is a thirst is a lack of righteousness. In other words, a lack of righteousness is unrighteousness, which is sin. So if you know you recognize you are a sinner, and then you are somebody who is spiritually thirsty, lacking the water of righteousness. And so he said, if you, if you thirst, and again, we, we tend to, in the world, you know, before we know the Lord, we know there's something lacking. It's sort of like you've got a thirst, you want it to be satisfied, you don't know what it is. But there's only one thing that will satisfy that thirst or that hole inside, and that is the Holy Spirit. In verse 38, uh, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake ye, in other words, it would be a fountain welling up from within and uh, a, a source of this living water will be created within, will spring up within. But this spake ye of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive or were to receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But again, that takes us back to the day of Pentecost and Jesus saying, uh, I 
you know, I'm about to go back into heaven, but you wait and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will be again poured out upon you and come upon you. Now, this this particular um, story is a very interesting one. It makes it very, very clear, of course, that what Jesus was talking about was the Holy Spirit and the thirst and the water that was going to spring up within. Um, but this particular feast, uh, which was the Feast of, of Tabernacles, uh, they had um, the last day was, they're not 100% certain, it was either the seventh day or the eighth day. Uh, really what there was seven days of uh, of the feast and then there was the eighth day which was uh, a rest day and it was um, um, again considered sort of the uh, a bit different to to the other seven so it, it, whichever one it was it was the build up to the climax of the feast and during this feast they had uh, the Jews had a tradition in which they would take and I'll not read it out to you from a couple of the um, uh, commentaries um, from one commentary, it says, um, uh, Jewish, Jewish writers say that water was brought every day of the feast in a golden pitcher from the pool of Siloam and poured upon the altar. It is thought that uh, it was when this water was poured out that Jesus cried out and pointed to the living water. So they had a tradition where they would, uh, every day, they would enact this out. They would go and get a, a pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam. They would bring it to the altar and pour out the water upon the altar. And again, from another commentary, a bit more detail, it says, Every morning, whilst the Israelites assembled in the temple courts, one of the priests brought water drawn in in a golden urn from the pool of Siloam, and amidst the sounding of trumpets and other demonstrations of joy, poured the water upon the altar. This rite is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but as a commemoration of the miraculous supply of water in the wilderness, it was altogether in harmony with the general spirit of the festival. And it was a tradition. There's various uh, Jews' um, writings that you can read. And I've got uh, copies of, again, in various commentaries that uh, explain from at that time what this was all about. They connected it with the outpouring of the water from the rock. And they, as it says here, the Jews also connected uh, the ceremony with the ceremony, the words of Isaiah, uh, where he says, Therefore with joy shall he draw water out of the wells of salvation. And they saw in it a type of the effusion of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the rabbis actually said, what is this water? What does it represent? It represents the Holy Ghost. It represents the Holy Spirit. And uh, and uh, that's what he said it was referring to in Isaiah, drawing water out of the wells of salvation. So for another commentary makes the point that for seven days this process was done. And on the eighth day it was not done. And it's possible when it says that it was the last day of the feast, which most people think is the eighth day, that that was when that stopped. And on that day, Jesus then stepped in to the breach, so to speak, where there was no pouring out of water. And he said, if any man thirsts, you come to me and I will give you uh, that water. So again, it was uh, significant. One way or the other, the Lord was pointing at this outpouring of water and he was saying, now you come to me and I will give you the New Testament water and uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the wonderful thought, a lot of these things, they say that this particular day, uh, there was no day like it for rejoicing. Uh, and uh, as they poured out the water and had this great ceremony, as it says there, they blew the trumpets and there was a lot of singing, a lot of rejoicing. And again, that's the, the whole context of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
and uh, that's uh, why it was so so much prophesied in the Old Testament and uh, in the New. So this is what, again, ties all together with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And uh, so that's, uh, of course, why it's so important for us to recognize the need to receive the Holy Spirit and to become one with God and Jesus Christ. And all the people said... Oh.